Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Welcome back. Uh, this is Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you about my preoperative checklist and everything that I do that actually starts the day prior to the operation, all the way up through just before we enter the room and begin the procedure. I'm going to talk to you in detail on the next podcast about everything that I do in the room, including the surgical approach as well as the actual procedure. So, the thing that I do the day prior to the surgery is review my surgeries for the upcoming day. I go back through all of my cases and check to make sure that all of the labs are appropriate and that nothing got missed, such as severe anemia or some other abnormality. I'll make sure also that I check specifically their staff screens and make sure that if they did have a positive nasal swab, that the patient got a prescription for and completed the Bactroban. And if they did test positive for MRSA, that vancomycin has been ordered for the next day. I also go back through and check the deformity and see what I'm going to be dealing with tomorrow as to whether or not this is a varus or valgus knee and what type of releases may be necessary, but most specifically is making sure that there's no severe deformities, bone loss, things that may require special implants. And if that is the case, I will make sure that I talk to my reps and make sure that all of our implants are available. We're lucky in the sense that we have basically the whole armamentarium from least constrained to fully constrained in our hospital. But most hospitals don't carry all of that equipment, so you want to make sure that anything that you might need for that following day has already been called in and is ready and sterile. And the other thing that I like to go through into my history uh, and physical section and the medical evaluation is whether or not the patient has any underlying uh, things such as a pacemaker or deep brain stimulator and that the appropriate reps and equipment is available so there's no delay in starting the case the next day. The next thing I'll also do, and I do admit that I don't do it all of the time now, but I made it a normal practice when I started doing total knee replacements is I would get all the patient's phone numbers and later that evening or in the afternoon after finishing clinic, I would reach out to each of my patients. I believe this is an excellent practice building tool and just calling your patients just to let them know that you're thinking about them and to see if they have any last-minute questions about their surgery for tomorrow, and just reminding them on the normal not to eat or drink after midnight, making sure that they take their appropriate morning medications if indicated. And I found that this one little thing uh, means so much to these patients as they're quite anxious with their upcoming surgery the following day. Now, the next thing is, first thing when I come in the morning, I'm always one of those surgeons that's in the operating room uh, early. I make sure that I see my patients quite early, and I'm in the room to help the team I really am a part of the team in helping set up the room and making sure that the trays are opened, uh, but I do go through the same checklist in the operating room every day and every morning. So the first thing I do is once I'm in the room is making sure that the bed is in the room. Sounds simple, but if there was a case the following evening, maybe a hip fracture case, it is possible that the fracture table was in the room. So I make sure that the appropriate bed is in the room and that the bed is positioned appropriately, and then I do set up my lights. I try to touch the lights Almost never during the case, if possible, we'll put the light handles on at the beginning of the case and try not to move them. 
There have been some studies that have looked at moving the lights, especially if the lights bang into one another, and the potential for them dropping debris onto the table, which could increase the chance of infection. So I make the uh, attempts to set the lights up prior to the case and making sure that they don't move during the case. I also make sure that the tourniquet machine is in the room. There are cases where I do not use the tourniquet, but I do use the tourniquet on most cases. So I make sure that the tourniquet is in the room, the machine is plugged in, and that we have the appropriate size tourniquets and web roll in the room. So this way, when the patient is brought into the room and they're ready for you to prep and position the leg, there's no wait or delay to go chase down a machine or the correct size tourniquet. The other thing I do is making sure that the computer is up and running and the x-rays are there and available so we can set them up and see them throughout the case. I typically will visualize them myself, but it is a good habit, I believe, to get into the habit of templating or at least drawing out your landmarks, especially if you're creating intramedullary holes in the femur and the tibia that based on certain patient's anatomy, that hole may be slightly varied. So by drawing those lines and drawing your cuts to have an idea of what the cuts should look like during the case, I find to be very helpful. And the next thing is a leg position. You do use an old-fashioned Alvarado leg holder, but any leg holder that you do use even if it's as simple as a beanbag, just making sure that that equipment is there and in the room. And I try to set them all up near the table. So once the anesthesiologist places the patient under anesthesia and gives you the go-ahead to move the leg and prep the, the patient, there is no walking around the room to get the leg position around the other room, other side of the room, or grabbing the tourniquet from the other side of the room that I have everything at the table or under the table or next to the table. So it's an extremely efficient process of flexing the knee up, putting on the tourniquet, setting up the leg positioner, and then moving on to go prep and scrub. Now, the other thing that I'll talk to you about when we talk about part of the preoperative sort of setup is the anesthesia. Uh, There are lots of studies and articles out there that will give you multiple different options of a preoperative cocktail And I do not believe that at this point there is really a best that is used worldwide. I do believe it is important to use a preoperative cocktail. And a lot of my pain lectures do talk about the idea of a Venn diagram, that pain isn't one thing, that pain is related to insults to the body from multiple factors. So if you can address each of those potential issues with different medications, it's the idea of a modimodal pain philosophy. So I always tell these patients that we try to get those medications in preoperatively so that they reach peak effectiveness when they wake up from anesthesia uh, and we're not playing chase. So what I typically use nowadays is acetaminophen. I give a thousand milligrams preoperatively in the pre-op area. I also use Celebrex. We'll do a 400 milligram morning dose. I do use 300 milligrams of Neurontin. And then in my younger patients, I do use 10 milligrams of the sustained release OxyContin. I will withhold that in patients that are really extremely opioid naive or my older patients. And then I also use either Zofram routinely. I used to use Emend, which is an excellent preoperative nausea drug. Uh, However, the pharmacy uh, gets pretty... Uh, tight about the use of that on all patients, uh, although I do believe that if you can prevent postoperative nausea and vomiting, even at the uh, cost of a few bucks for a pill, I believe it's extremely worthwhile. The other option in some patients is a scopolamine patch, and I do make it the habit of talking to my anesthesiologist each morning about patients that may have had a prior history of severe postoperative nausea and vomiting so that they are aware and are sure to limit the use of narcotics, but that we have the appropriate preoperative medications on board. 
Now, as far as other things in the preoperative anesthesia area, um, I do see, mark the patient, uh, and I go through all of the things that I do with the patient at the same time in the same way every single visit. So I see the patient. I make it a habit to check my consent, make sure that it's signed, the appropriate patient sticker is there, that the appropriate side and the procedure is checked, I verify with the patient and then mark the leg. It's again, the analogy that I use is like a pilot. Even if you have 50,000 hours of flying time, you still go through the checklist every time. So for me, it's consent, appropriate side, blood consent, talk to the patient, verify with the patient, and then mark the surgical site right through where I'm going to cut. And then I hand it off to the anesthesiologist because we make it a habit that they will not sedate and block the patient until the surgeon has seen and signed signed the appropriate side to prevent the potential possibility of them blocking the incorrect side. Now, as far as anesthesia, uh, we've been through all of the above in my institution, and we've been through the spinal and the epidurals, and we've been through the femoral blocks and the sciatic blocks and the dual blocks and the catheter. So currently, uh, what tends to work well in my hand is the idea of these preoperative cocktail, and we use a postoperative regimen that I'll get into in later podcasts. But in my hands at our institution, what's worked well for us is a general anesthesia with a adductor canal nerve block. I found the femoral block uh, reduced the ability to do physical therapy well due to the paralysis of the quadriceps muscle and required the use of a knee immobilizer. The sciatic was too good. They had a lot of rebound effect. And also it definitely densely innervated or affects the densely innervated portion of the perineal division, which led to foot drops that would persist for a few days. So the adductor has been extremely useful and helpful for us. And when it came to spinal and epidurals, uh, what I've found uh, the hardest thing at our institution and with my patients uh, is the ability to really control the patient's pain. If you dose it just perfectly and correctly, a lot of those patients do do well. And uh, there are lots of studies that you can review looking at the idea of hypotensive anesthesia and its effect on venothromboembolism as well as pain and bleeding. Uh, But the other issue that arises is if they're under uh, medicated uh, and if the spinal is not as effective, uh, it leads to some issues with pain postoperatively and again, if they're over-medicated, especially with narcotics, uh, this can lead to sedation and itching and other side effects, which can be quite severe. Um, so I have used all of them, but uh, currently what's worked well in my hands is the idea of a general with a adductor block. Um, as I will get into later at the end of the case, I also do a intraarticular injection as well, but also the preoperative medication cocktail. And that combination for our patients tends to be quite well. And a lot of those do get up and do therapy the day of surgery. Uh, so once again, just as a review that the preoperative checklist for me begins the day prior, rechecking labs, relooking at deformity, making sure that I have the appropriate implants and seeing if there's anything else specific that is needed such as they rep for a pacemaker company or deep brain stimulator. And then the day of the procedure, making sure that I'm in the room, that the bed is set up, that the tourniquet is there, the equipment that I need for the leg positioner is there, the x-rays are up and available, and all the instruments and implants are there and available. And then have a discussion with your anesthesia anesthesia team uh, to make sure that everybody is on the same page as to what the plan is for anesthesia, uh, what medications they are going to get and receive pre-op, see, sign, and mark your site of surgery with the patient, uh, and then also uh, have a plan for the um, cocktail and when it will be given. 
And that really sums up uh, my preoperative stuff. So in the next podcast, we're going to be getting into what I believe everybody is most interested in is we're going to get into the operating room and start the procedure, which is going to begin with the timeout. So once again, thanks for listening so far. Uh, Once again, I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Podcast, Tips and Pearls, and I will see you next time. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.